Well, let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer and uh, we'll get started. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Lori and Christina's story. And um, we thank you for the power that comes out of something when we just have faith to believe that uh, someone on the other side of that card could change their lives. Thank you for uh, Lori's willingness several years ago to be persistent and to invite Christina. And thank you for Christina for her openness, God, to, to come and then to see how her whole uh, life and her family's life and her extended family's life has been changed simply by uh, Lori taking the guts to um, give a card. God, help us all this week to find a coworker who uh, we have a good relationship with and that we know that if we ask God that they would be so excited to receive that. And I pray right now through the power of the Holy Spirit that many people will be convicted this week in this room to invite people and that on the other side of those individuals that we don't even know but people here know that their lives would be changed and their eternity may be directed a new way because of people here willing to take risks today. And God, we come now and we ask for your Holy Spirit to fall afresh upon us. Teach us so that we could see ourselves the way that you see us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was in a seventh grade wood shop when the teacher stopped the class and pointed me out and said, Chris, get your shelf and come up here. And so we had been working on this shelf for almost the entire uh, semester. And I walked up in front of the class, and everyone's laughing at me. It was a simple shelf, two pieces. But when I got up there, the teacher said this. Said, he said, Chris, show your shelf. There's something terribly wrong with it. And if you look at this shelf, it doesn't fit. Like, directly, it goes down, and nothing will sit on this. Like if you tried to sit this bottle of water, it'll just slide right off. Now the whole point of a shelf, folks, is for stuff to be on it. And this was not my shelf. And if you would have been in my seventh grade class uh, all those years ago, you probably would have thought, that's not a big deal. But to me... Those are words that I still remember today. You see, because of those words, one of the things that has happened in my life is that when it comes to working with tools or fixing anything, I feel most inadequate. I feel as if there's no way I can do stuff. And the stereotype that men love tools and they love to work with tools and they can 
fix anything. It's not me. I don't have a clue. You know, there's something very interesting about the power of words. On one hand, words have the potential to help us. But on the other hand, words have the potential to harm us. If you would, I'd like you to look down the row of the people that are sitting in your row, okay? Don't give them dirty looks, but just kind of look down there, okay? And every single person in your row is hiding something. Do you know what they're hiding? Scars. Most of us have some scar on our body. In fact, it's impossible, really, to go through all of life and you're not scathed in some way. I have scars, and I'll tell you about a few of them. I have a scar right under here, under my chin, that uh, took place when I was a small kid. I was in the bathtub, and I was dancing. And I fell down and busted my chin wide open. And my parents were too cheap to take me to the ER. So they got this medicine woman named Mary Ruth Graham who felt with a couple of Band-Aids called a butterfly, she could heal up your entire body. And she put it up there and the chin finally did come back together. I have another uh, scar up here on my eye. I was playing pitch and catch uh, with a baseball with an older kid in the neighborhood. And uh, he told me, he said, Chris, I want you to hold your mitt right here in the middle of your body and I'm going to throw you a curveball. And he said, now you're going to want to put your glove up here, but don't. Leave it right there because it's going to curve in and fall right into your mitt. It never curved. Bam, right on my eye, you know, just busted it open. Had to go to the ER and I have a scar right there. I was uh, running high school track. I was on the 4 by 400 meter relay team. And I'm running with the baton as hard as I can, and I get ready to pass it to the next person. And because I didn't weigh very much, my whole body went down at once. And I put a huge cut right on my knee. And there's a scar on my knee. You see, folks, all of us have scars. Every single person in here has a scar. And I'm not talking about physical scars. I'm talking about emotional scars that have scathed you. And they have scarred up your self-esteem. And these are the scars, folks, that we try to camouflage. We try to cover up. We try to hide them from other people. For some of us, our dignity... Our value, our self-worth has been scarred. And you might say, well, Chris, how does that take place? Well, it takes place through words. Look at this uh, scripture verse. It will come up on the side screen. It's a proverb, and uh, it's a very uh, powerful kind of verse. It says, reckless words pierce like a sword. Reckless words pierce like a sword. 
Now today, we're going to look at three pronouns. We're kind of in the midst of these pronouns, and three that we're going to look at today are they and me and he. It's kind of the us that uh, we're comprised of. Now, typically, there are two types of scars that do great damage to us. The first scar comes from the words they say about us. We're scarred by the words that they say about us. They. What do they say to you? What do they say about you? What do they say about me? You see, that woodshop teacher is a they in my life. He said something that harmed me, and I've remembered that. I've had that scar for all my life. Words that they say to us, maybe a parent, a teacher, a coach, another authority figure, maybe a friend, a spouse, someone that you're dating. Words that they say can wound us. And the Bible says that words can pierce like a sword. I was coaching uh, Y basketball a few years ago. Uh, the fifth and six-year-olds. They're a great group to coach because they know nothing, and when you're done, they know nothing. But they like to have fun, and they run around, and it's just a a fun group. And we had one little guy who was uh, a little bit heavier than all of the other uh, kids. And whenever we would do the running drills, he was always the last kid to finish. And I'll never forget one day we were practicing and his dad was at the practice and this little kid is running as hard as he can but he just can't keep up with the rest and his dad yells out, You are the slowest kid I know! Get with it! And you could just see this little kid crushed in that moment. But you see, folks, that cut that his dad did, it didn't go away that day. I have a feeling that today, now that he's a teenager, that that scar is still there. He still hears, you are the slowest kid I know. Get with it. You know, I think all of us have phrases in our lives that we remember of places where we were wounded. Places where people hurt us. So the question becomes, what do we do? Do we wallow in those words? Do we spend our entire lives kind of saying, oh, I was hurt. I was injured. They're so mean. They're so bad. They tore me up. My mother put my diapers on too tight. My dad painted the nursery pink and I'm a boy. Friends, one of the problems with our world today is that it is filled with blamers and boomers and generation excusers. Oh, they did it. It's their fault. They, 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 they. They said, they feel it. They hurt me. Poor, pitiful me. Now, let me stop here for a second. If the wound is fresh and you're hurt, You need to take some time to get that healed up. If you need to go to a counselor, 
If you need to come talk to me or someone in the church, take the time that you need. But eventually, God says, you've got to take your scars and turn them into stars. You've got to build a bridge from what they have said to what God eventually wants to say to you. Now, like I said last week, I'm not here to parent bash. But remember last week, I told you that when we're first born, when we're born, what do we do? From the moment we're born until the day that we die, we are constantly asking one question. It only has three words, but it's a question that we ask over and over and over again. And the question is, do I matter? Do I matter? Do I matter? And the first mirror that you ever get a sense of whether or not you matter or not is through your parents' eyes. And if your parents reflected back to you affirmation and dignity and value, you probably have a pretty good healthy esteem. Healthy self-esteem. On the other hand, if when you looked at your parents' eyes, and I know some of your stories, so I know this has happened to you, but if you looked into your parents' eyes and it was distorted and they said things like, you're an accident, you're a mistake, you're an afterthought, you're too fat, you're too slow, you're too tall, you'll never make it, then chances are you're sitting there today and maybe you put on a big front, but when you look into the mirror, that's what you see. This poor self-esteem. Now, I honestly believe that parents don't necessarily intentionally want to wound us in this way, but sometimes either because of their parents or because of the fact that, you know, just in the period of time, they weren't a good parent, they say things that hurt. But I want to tell you today that if you're there and you're sitting there, it's time to move on. But too many of us, myself included, have sometimes kind of wallowed in what they say about me. I've wallowed in what they say. So the first place that our scars come from are the words that they say about us. The second place that our, word, that our scars come from are the words we say about ourselves. Scars actually come from the words that we say, that you say about yourself. We listen to the words that they say about us, and we receive those words... And guess what happens next? We believe those words. We receive those lies, then we believe those lies. And before long, we start saying, well, I guess I am too slow. I guess I am too fat. I guess I am not very smart. I guess I am an accident. I guess I am an afterthought. I guess I am a mistake. Well, I guess, I guess, I guess, I guess, I guess, and fill in the blank. And at that, fo- at that point, folks, what you have to do is you have to say, I'm just being a liar. I'm lying to myself because that's what you're doing. When you start saying those things about yourself, you're lying to yourself. I mean, that's not re- true. You can't receive that and believe that. 
But that's what happens. We receive words that they say, then we believe it, and we say it to ourselves. And then sometimes we go to a next level in this whole area, and it's called comparing ourselves to other people. Do you guys ever do that? Ever compare? Yeah, no confession here, are we? Bunch is on his own. Yeah. I mean, I think of a guy who uh, does one thing much better than I do. And I compare myself to him all the time. I try not to, but I just do. And when I compare myself with him, do you know how I feel? Bitter. Remember the bitter beer face a few years ago? Bitter. Bitter beer. And every time that I see this guy, because he does something so much better than I do, I get bitter. I'm like, ugh. I'll never be able to do what he can. I can't achieve that. I'll never blank what he can, and I become bitter. But surely, those of you who are here today who are so holy, that you never do that, do you? You never compare yourself to anyone because you're just so focused. Sometimes, though, what I'll do, I'll compare myself to someone, uh, a person that I was thinking about this week, who's not as good as me in one certain area. And uh, when I do that and I compare myself to him, I feel better about myself. I'm like, man, I'm pretty good. I'm a lot better than that guy, you know. And folks, this is what comparison does. It either puts you in the dumps or it puts you on an ego trip. Folks, either way you look at it, it's ridiculous to compare yourself to anyone else. That's like comparing, you know, apples to oranges. Or some of you who are, you know, those water yuppies, you know, tap water to Evian bottled water or Dasani bottled water. You know what? All these bottled water places, they're all owned by Coke companies and Pepsi companies. And I, I was reading this study a few weeks ago. You know why they decided to do bottled water? They weren't making enough money selling pop. So they said, we'll put it in a bottle. People will buy it. Now we do it all the time. Look, we're so cheap at the jar, though, we just call it pure drinking water. You know what that means? Some guy went out in the tap and poured all these up. Some of you are not even drinking pure drinking water right now. You just can't do it, folks. You can't compare yourself. You are one of a kind. You are God's chosen person. Some of you right now should have eye contact with me because you just need someone to tell you that you are one of a kind. God loves you. He specifically had a plan for you, and you are special. You you don't have to compare yourself to anyone else because you are special in His sight. But we just can't help but compare. I'm me and you're you, but we can't help from comparing and contrasting ourselves with other people. The Bible says this, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, 
They are not what? What's it say? You're not wise. You're not wise. I was riding in a car this week with a couple of friends of mine. We were going to Cincinnati. And uh, we were just talking. You know, it's about two, two and a half hour drive. So you have, uh, you know, a lot of time to talk. And we're talking. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the conversation, I bring up my brother. And I started talking about him. But I didn't give the highlights of his life. I started talking about the lowlights of his life. And then this week I was preparing this teaching, and I'm like, oh, I need an illustration that kind of talks about how a person would compare somebody to someone else. All of a sudden, it's like the Holy Spirit was liking, like, you, you idiot. You just did this with your brother. And I remembered in that conversation that I started talking about how he wasn't as good as me, basically. And comparing myself to him. And I said, Chris, why did you bring your brother up to your friends in the midst of that conversation? And it dawned on me, the reason I brought him up is because if I cut him down just a little bit more, I could build myself up. That's why I did it. And it's staggering to me how many times throughout a week that if I'm not careful, I can truly tear someone down so that I build myself up. Now, I know none of you do that. Folks, it's not wise to compare yourself to others because either you make yourself look a lot better than you actually are or you make yourself look a lot worse than you actually are. You know, most of us don't like to hang out with people who are comparing themselves all the time. I mean, some of you who are women, you know what it's like. You go and you're around some women, all of a sudden they're comparing themselves, and you're like, I don't want to hang out with her anymore. With her little Gucci, Gucci, Lucci bag, you know? And guys are the same way. Look, I've been working out. Look at my six-pack. And you're sitting there and you're like, man, I don't have any pack, you know? So we're wounded by the words that people... You know what? I hate to hang around myself sometimes. Heck, sometimes I don't even like it in me. So we're wounded by the words that they say to us. We're wounded by the words that we say about ourselves just to build ourselves up. And unfortunately, we get into this ping-pong match. I love ping-pong. And this is the ping-pong match. We, we look and we go, they, he, they, he, they, me, they, me. What did they say? What did I say about myself? And we're just going back and forth, this ping-pong match between what they say and what I say about myself. And when that happens, folks, you can't be vertical getting connected with God and hearing what He says about you because you're so concerned about the next serve. What did they say? What did I say about myself? And you go back and forth. So we've got to move to the next pronoun. We've got to move from they to me and from me to he. What does God say about you? What does he 
say about me? Now, we've all been wounded. We all have some scar tissue. So the question becomes, where does our healing come from? Where does our healing come from? Folks, healing doesn't come from the words that they say about you. Even when people build you up and they go, oh, you're so great. That's not where healing comes from. And it doesn't come from the words that we say about ourselves. But our healing comes from what He says about us. What God says about us. Now once you realize that healing comes from His words, the process to receive the healing goes like this. First of all, you reveal your woundedness or your scars to God. You reveal our feelings to God. You say, God, this is what I'm feeling right now. You reveal it. And the beginning of true supernatural healing is when you reveal those to God. In Romans 8.28, we're told that God can take our scars and turn them into stars. It says this, We know that God causes all things, all things, good things, bad things, scars, wounds, words, all of it. The verse says this, God causes all things to work together for what? For good. Now, it doesn't say that all things are good. There are a lot of bad things in this world. But God causes even all of those things to work together for the good. You mean the wounds that my parents inflicted upon me can turn into good? Yes. You mean what my coach said about me? Yes. You mean what my friend said about me? Yes. You mean what my spouse said about me? Yes. You mean what my ex-spouse said about me? Yes. The verse continues, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And folks, I've seen this happen time and time again. And it's something to behold. That you take your greatest wound, whatever the thing is that's happened in your life, and God can turn it into the greatest strength in your life. If we reveal it to God, if we allow, it, allow Him to heal it and utilize it for His glory, He can turn it into good. So friends, don't wallow in your wounds. Don't play the ping pong game back and forth between what they say and what I say about myself. Deal with it and then move on to what God has for your life. You reveal it, you come clean. Did you know that the beginning of a scar, folks, lets us know that the skin actually is the process towards what? Healing. That you've started the healing process. And maybe today... The healing for some of your scars is going to begin. And one day, you can have a very cool story of how someone said something to you that they said or that you thought of yourself and it turned around in such a way that you can take your scar and change your thought process into a deeper way so that God can reveal the healing to you and you can have this awesome story of transformation. So first of all, we reveal it to God. Secondly, when you receive your healing, you record it. You actually record it. You record your scar on paper. 
You just go ahead and you write down, you record your junk. You record your lie, those lies that have been told about you. You take out a journal and you write it down. You just write down the lies that they say about you. You write down, you're too fat. You're not smart enough. You're too slow. You're not spiritual enough. Your past is unforgivable. You write them down. And then you take out your marker and you cross that out as a lie and you write in what God says about you. Whatever the phrases that you've been carrying on and that has been turning like a... You ever see those rotisserie grills? It just keeps going over and over and over. That's what happens with some of the hurts in our life. We just let it keep going over and over and over and over because we never record it down. And when you finally record it down and you mark it out, then you write beside it what is the truth about you. And some of you should memorize these five things that I'm going to give you. The first truth that you can take to the bank, God says this, I'm acceptable. God tells you, He says, you're acceptable. Folks, when you turn to Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, and you say, Jesus, I'm all in, Jesus says, I accept you. The Bible says this, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says, He made Him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become what? Say what? Uh, say it like you mean it. What did it say? Righteousness. Now that's some stout stuff for some of you. Because you're walking around this thing called life and you're really wondering about whether or not you're accepted. You're wondering about your value. Maybe someone told you something and you don't feel like you're accepted. Well, I've got some great news for you if you're at that place. You're accepted. As is, Jesus accepts you. You're accepted. Let me give a brief illustration uh, to kind of show this. I need two volunteers. Uh, okay, come on up. I need one more. Come on up, Wes. All right. You guys can see him right here for a second. Okay, what's your name? Matt. Let's give Matt a hand, everybody. Okay, come on up here. What's your name? Wes. Wes. This is Wes. Let's give Wes a hand. Okay. Now, let's say just for the sake of this illustration, I am God the Father. Okay? It's a long stretch, I realize, but I'm God the Father, okay? And um, let's say uh, that Wes is Wes. Am I going too fast for some of you? Okay? So I'm God the Father, Wes is Wes, and Matt, okay, is Jesus. So let's say... I know it's a stretch, Mom and Dad, but it's the best that we can do, okay? So let's say, for instance, that you come up to me one day and you say, Hey, God the Father, who do you love more? Who has more value? Who's more important to you? 
Who is more righteous? Now, some of you are sitting there right now and you're like, Chris, that's the dumbest illustration I've ever seen. Of course, it's Jesus. But guess what? Uh, You're wrong. God the Father would look at both of them and would say, I love them equally. I accept them equally. And that's what the Bible says, folks. That Scripture verse that I just gave to you is one that explains this. The reason why God loves Wes just as much as he does Jesus here in our illustration is because Wes has accepted Jesus Christ, and when he did that, everything that was on Jesus got placed exactly into Wes. And so when God the Father looks down upon these two, he doesn't just, yeah, he sees Wes. Wes is Wes, right? But he sees that he has been placed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And folks, for some of you, that's why you've been waiting for your whole life to figure out, well, how is it that I'm always forgiven? How is it that I'm always loved? How is it that no matter what, He'll always take care of me? It's because when Wes gave his life to Christ, all of a sudden the righteousness, everything is placed exactly on Him. God sees them exactly the same. Let's give uh, Wes and Matt uh, a hand. Here's the second thing you need to realize. I am valuable. Not only am I accepted, but I am valuable. How can you tell whether or not something is valuable or not? How do you tell what the worth of something is? How much a person is willing to pay for it, right? You only know if something's valuable based upon what they're willing to pay for. So anytime you see someone who has a cross on a necklace, anytime that you see someone who has a cross on their t-shirt, anytime you see someone who has a cross on their bumper sticker, you should realize and think about your value. You see, folks, God bankrupt heaven. He threw it all in. He went bankrupt in heaven when He sent Jesus Christ as His one and only Son just for you. If you were the only person in the world at that time, He would have went bankrupt so that you would have Him. Jesus even said this, Look at the ravens. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in barns because God feeds them and you are far more valuable to Him than any bird. Here's the next thing. You are lovable. You're lovable. I am lovable. God says this to you, For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. We're always trying to be somebody, aren't we? We're always trying to be somebody. We're playing ping pong back and forth. Wonder if they'll they'll finally say that, Chris, you're a somebody. We want the they to say you're a somebody. But folks, they will never say that you're a somebody. They'll tell you you're a nobody. And then we hear that nobody, and then we take that on for ourselves. But when I go to He, when I go to God, when I go to He, 
He tells me I'm somebody. He tells me I'm loved. In fact, I'm so loved, folks. You are so loved. That if we were to really receive, that's the thing as human beings, we never really receive the fullness of God's love. But if we receive the fullness of His love, we couldn't even hardly stand because there would be such a sensory overload. Number four, I'm forgivable. I'm forgivable. Even though I don't deserve it, He forgives me. God says this. He says, but I wipe away your sins because of who I am. And so I will forget the wrongs you have done. One of the greatest things I ever heard in my life was when somebody told me, you believe in a God of amnesia. He doesn't remember, folks. So if God doesn't remember, why are you carrying it? You're forgivable. Number five, we're capable. I'm capable. Philippians 4.13 says this, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I can do how many things? All things. Not some things. Not most things. He says all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I reveal this stuff, I record this stuff, and then I discover who I am in Christ. Now, I just listed five truths of what God says about you. I could have listed ten, I could have listed fifteen, I could have listed twenty of the truths that God says about you in the Scripture. I'd like to close by just telling you an illustration. It's really cool. It says that one day, there was a man who was walking into a circus. And as he's walking into the circus, he uh, notices there are these series of tents. And so as he sees these tents, he notices that there's this huge mammoth elephant that is connected to this small little stake at this tent. And it's just held on by this flimsy bicycle chain. And so he sees the trainer, and he goes up to him and he goes, Hey, can I ask you a question? He said, How is it that that elephant can stay chained to that small little stake? I mean, he's a beast of an elephant. And the trainer kind of starts laughing. He's like, well, I've had that elephant since he was a baby. And he said when he was a baby elephant, he wasn't strong enough to break that chain. He could never pull up that stake. Now if he wanted to, he could break it like a thread. But it's the memory in his mind that has tethered him to the stake. You see, folks, today, there are some elephants in this room. We try to hide it. We try to camouflage it. But for some of us, 
we are stuck to a stake and we're connected to a chain and we can't get away and we just keep going around and around and around and what that chain is for you is what they said about you or what you're saying about yourself. And today, God wants to set you free. You see, folks, you can come here every single Sunday You can go through the motions. You can do whatever. And I told the band this before we started. I don't want you to leave going, oh, man, Bunch, he hit a home run. Oh, Derek, it was good. You know, oh, I feel good. You know what I want? I want you to encounter God. I could care less what happens to this church as long as we continually are people who are encountering God. You came here today, folks, not just to sit and soak it in, You came to hear from God. Some of you have some chains in your life. They're so thick and you're so connected and you're like that elephant and you're just stuck. And God's saying, I want to free you up today. God loves you so much. If you could just only know that from heaven, He looks down and He says, You're accepted. You're loved. You're forgivable. You're valued. You're capable of doing anything. I guarantee next week when you walked into this place, you wouldn't just walk in to just go through another church service. Yay, hoo-ha. But you would come saying, I'm coming to see God today. It's not about being on the setup team or the hospitality team or the, you know, whatever team you're on. It's not that I just came here for the very first time and man, that guy's up there talking about an elephant and I don't know what he's saying, but I want my chain to be gone. It's that you came here today to experience God's grace and that He loves you so much. So this is what we're going to do. Some of you are chained to what they say. Some of you are chained to what you say about yourself. But I want you to get unchained today. And the way you do that is by turning vertical to He, what God says about you. So if you would, please stand, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to allow God's amazing grace to come into this place. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, there are some of us who are here today and um, God, we're chained to something. It might be what they say, it might be what I say about myself, it might be an addiction that we're dealing with, it might be the fact that we just filed bankruptcy, there's something, God, but we're chained to what everyone else is saying and what we say about ourselves. And God, we want to receive your amazing grace right now. And so I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come into this place. We know it's been present, God, but we want to fill it. We don't want to leave just feeling the same way we came in. We want to receive your grace so that we become unchained. Your grace that says this, there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. And there's nothing you can do to make me love you more. I love you. So come now, Holy Spirit. 
Help us sing about this amazing grace. And God, whatever chains you want to break in this place, God, we're open and receptive to that happening. We pray this in Jesus' name.
so thankful, God, that you just give us so much grace. And like Chris said, you're the God of amnesia. You just you forget all our wrongdoings, God, and just give us grace and give us forgiveness. And so we just thank you for that today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, know that you're loved in this place. Have a great week. If you need prayer for anything, there'll be people up here to pray with you.